Welcome to For the Record, behind-the-scenes insider podcast with Colin McCall, where we take a forward-facing look at your environmental requirements and help you make your EHS program an indispensable and strategic part of your company's growth. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter. And now, here's your host, Colin McCall. All right, welcome back, everybody, to the podcast. Today, I'm joined by Kayla Turney. Kayla, it's been about a year, Kayla, since you've been on the podcast, so I'll just give a quick introduction. Kayla's a technical manager at all four, and she has been responsible for tracking emerging contaminants. So I thought it would be a good time, third week of January 2022, to give a broad update on emerging contaminants. Of course, let's talk about PFAS. That's always the big one and probably will be moving forward. And then while we're talking about those, we know we've got reporting that's due. We've got tier two, we've got TRI, things like that. So why not just give a quick update around some of those areas? And I can tell you that we are going to do a more detailed TRI webinar That'll be coming up in the spring in advance of the TRI reporting deadline. So we'll hit a couple of big picture things here. Maybe some of those will be a primer, but then there's going to be much more detail that we put out as TRI sort of inches closer in terms of its July reporting deadline. So Kayla, welcome back and thanks for joining. Thanks for having me back, Colin. All right, let's get into it. Let's just get right into the meat here. Like I said, early last year, we got together. We talked very specifically about PFAS, regulatory policy activity, all that good stuff. What are a couple of the things that have happened? A lot's happened in the last year, for sure. I know people have been tracking it, but what are a couple of the notables sitting here in January of 2022 that folks should be aware of around PFAS? Yeah, so aside from some state-specific activity last year, I think the biggest thing that came out of 2021 was that US EPA published their PFAS roadmap document back in October. And in that document, it sets some pretty big goals for the agency, and it details the specific plans and timeframes to meet those PFAS regulatory actions that are expected to occur over the next few years. And a few notable ones that are on the list for this year One would be on the drinking water side. So EPA is expected to finally publish a national enforceable drinking water standard for PFOA and PFOS. This has been long awaited. Um, There's currently no federally enforceable standards and there's only a health advisory level for PFOA and PFOS, which are essentially non-enforceable guidelines. EPA is also expected to publish more health advisory levels this year for additional PFAS. And what we saw with PFOA and PFOS was that the health advisory levels often give state agencies the data that they need to then set their own state enforceable limits. So kind of in a nutshell, we should expect to see drinking water limits expanded to more PFOS this year. Another item that's being talked about a lot right now is the proposal to add PFOA and PFOS as hazardous substances under CERCLA and hazardous waste under RECRA. And for the CERCLA listing, this rule actually officially hit the White House OMB desk last week. So the wheels are in motion. And then the last item I'll just highlight is more changes to TRI, namely more PFAS compounds being added to the list. And then there's also a proposal to essentially remove the de minimis exemption. 
Kayla, as we're readying for a drinking water standard, I know there's been much conversation over the past year or so about the pace of regulation for PFAS and whether or not the pace of being able to measure it and track it and all those good things, whether those two are aligned or whether the regulation is getting out in front of some of the analytical side. Do you have any perspective just real broadly on the analytical piece? Is EPA making some progress there? Where does some of that stand from your lens? Yeah, so broadly, I know that it's still definitely a concern. The one thing I'll note is that EPA is still taking a very targeted approach to the PFAS that they regulate. There is discussion about potential regulation as a class or as subcategories, but as of right now, they're going specific compound by specific compound and at the same time expanding those analytical and sampling methods that are out there to fit. Targeted approach as opposed to a maybe a more sweeping approach. Although yeah. it'd be interesting to compare that some of the TRI reporting lists to the regulated list because it does it seems like they might not exactly be the same. Is that true? Uh, yeah, very true. <laughs> okay. All right. Interesting. So that's something to monitor as we go towards towards TRI season for sure. Okay. We just covered a PFAS very quickly, but like I said, we want it to be big picture here, and I'm sure it'll come up as we talk about reporting. Other pollutants, though, Kayla, what other pollutants that are emerging should folks and listeners be keeping their eyes on? I'd say a big one that Frankly, it's been considered an emerging contaminant for years now, but it's really starting to get some regulatory traction is 1,4-dioxane. We're seeing states like New York start to actually set drinking water standards as well as limitations on consumer goods. But some other contaminants that have definitely been in the news a lot and we're keeping an eye on are things like microplastics and pharmaceuticals and personal care products or PPCPs. And then there's really just a slew of other trace organics like polybrominated biphenyls or PBBs, for an example. Kayla, for some of those compounds, what's the mix that we're seeing? Is it is it more rumblings from stakeholders that are outside of regulatory agencies that are having some of those conversations? Or have some of those really started to filter into the regulatory side and started to become part of the dialogue? I know that's a broad question, but what's yeah. the general sense? I think the general sense is it's a little outside of the regulation right now. Um, I'm seeing more from stakeholders and outside environmental groups. In general, microplastics seems to be like the, the most shiny object on the horizon yep. in conversation. But, yeah, got it. That makes sense. And one other one that I'll actually mention here. So one bromopropane recently got added to the list of hazardous air pollutants which if I'm not mistaken, there has not been a new hazardous air pollutant added to that list in probably over 30 years. So that's a big event. And that's a pollutant that really is primarily part of solvents and some adhesives and things like that. So there's a number of industries that, that utilize some of those materials that are going to be taking a close look at that. And now, you know, obviously one bromopropane will show up and Part 63 regulations and, and all that good stuff. So we continue to track that. But it's just interesting as all these emerging contaminants are out there in the space that we have the first new HAP in over 30 years. And that's a trend I'd expect to continue. I think we see that list continue to grow and we will monitor it. Yeah, definitely. 
Okay. Like I said, we're in early 2022 here. We've got 2021 done. Production data in. We're getting into another round of reporting coming up. We've got tier two. We've got TRI. Those are two reports that a lot of industries have to do. So what's new, Kayla, generally speaking, with those two reports going into 2022? So for tier two, I'd say there's no major changes this year, but since we're kind of on the topic of PFAS, I'll just say that if you store AFFF on site, make sure you consider that as a potential reportable substance. And as always, as a best practice, check with your state to make sure you know how reports need to be submitted. Some states have their own electronic system. Some might just be by email or hard copy. So just double check with your state officials to make sure that process hasn't changed over the past year. And then for TRI, there are several changes that will impact the calendar year 2021 report. So for example, the reporting requirements have been expanded to include additional industry sectors like natural gas processing facilities and certain facilities that release or otherwise manage ethylene oxide. From an actual impact perspective, EPA estimates that there are at least 321 additional natural gas processing facilities that meet the TRI reporting criteria that haven't had to previously report. And for the ethylene oxide group, EPA selected the 29 specific facilities that they believe use the highest amounts of ethylene oxide in the contract sterilization sector and are among those facilities that haven't previously had to report. And then additionally, EPA has added three more PFAS to the TRI list from last year's report. So last year, the list was at 172, and now the tally is up to 175 unique PFAS compounds. It's not surprising, Kayla, to hear ethylene oxide being an area of focus. I know that's one that we've seen that's generated a lot of interest, particularly in a subset of states that have been working with facilities that utilize it. And in a number of cases, trying to figure out how to fit ethylene oxide into the framework of existing air toxics programs and the thresholds for ethylene oxide are really low. So I know that's been a challenge for agencies and some of those facilities that have been working through that. So we expect continued attention there. Kayla, how about sticking with TRI and other, are there any other compounds that are on the long-term TRI horizon outside of the PFAS compounds that you mentioned that might be added? Um, Not that I know of. Okay. Got it. We've actually updated probably three or four episodes ago. We were having an air toxics conversation with Amy and I believe we mentioned in that conversation that EPA is now updating the NADA database. So this would be the National Air Toxics Assessment Database, and they're doing that annually. We talk a lot about reporting and consistency and where and how different data is available to a multitude of stakeholders in this process. So now we're going into TRI season. We have EPA updating this other database, this other air toxics database annually. Kayla, how do those two fit together? Does the NADA database annual change more being as frequent as it is mean anything for TRI? Yeah, so there's a little overlap there. So the basic breakdown is that the NADA uses some of the data that's reported in the National Emission Inventory to assess human health risks posed by air toxics. Similarly, 
EPA updates their risk screening environmental indicators model annually, and that pulls some data from the TRI. So even though the NADA doesn't directly pull information from the TRI, the fact that both of these EPA tools are going to be updated annually further supports the importance of making sure there's consistency between your state annual emissions report, because that goes to the NEI, which then goes to the NADA, and the air releases that you report under TRI, because then that goes to the risk screening environmental indicators model. And it'll just be a lot easier to do a true direct side-by-side -side comparison of your reported air releases on an annual basis. It also supports the importance of updating your air emissions to use the best available data each year, since that data might then be used to develop ambient concentrations or population exposures and public health risks, which are published in the NADA. Kayla, that's interesting. I know a lot of that risk information that EPA prepares, we've typically in the past thought of it as it's being used for regulatory purposes and rulemaking and assessing risk associated with with existing rules, which it certainly is. Now we're seeing we've had environmental justice as a topic on this podcast several times now, and there's lots of new tools being introduced with mapping and screening and all that. So now there's just this whole nother layer of information that folks can have access to where all this is coming into play. So we just continue to see more and more emphasis on consistency like you said. Kayla, any other general advice for folks around PFAS or upcoming reporting? Anything else you want to add to the uh, conversation here? Yeah, so I think circling back to the de minimis exemption for PFAS and that being potentially removed, would like to highlight that a little bit more and what that could actually mean. So the proposal is uh, supposed to hit this spring, and EPA is essentially proposing to categorize the TRI-listed PFAS as chemicals of special concern, which would eliminate the eligibility to use that de minimis exemption for supplier notifications. And what that really boils down to is, let's say you have AFFF on site and the SDS says something arbitrary under the chemical composition data, like proprietary perfluorochemicals. And then let's also say that there was an emergency last year that required you to actually use the AFFF. So you reach out to the AFFF supplier to determine if that proprietary perfluorochemicals is actually on the TRI list. Currently, their response back to you could just be something as simple as there's no PFAS greater than de minimis levels without actually giving you any of the specifics. And that would be totally fine. You could close out that item for the year. But if that de minimis exemption is removed, that won't be sufficient. And it'll be critical for facilities to know exactly what PFAS by CAS number and in exactly what quantities are in all of their materials on site. So going forward, I think the most prudent piece of advice I could give at this time is really just to go through and do a thorough review of your materials on site and flagging any that contain or might potentially contain PFAS. So whether it actually lists a PFAS in the SDS or it says something like that proprietary perfluorocarbon. If you can just kind of get a short list together, then that'll help you stay one step ahead of the regulations because as new regulations come out or as more specific compounds are added to these lists, if you can kind of easily flip back to your flag materials and do a double check on applicability, it should save you a lot of time and heartburn in the future. 
And then the last piece of advice is really just any sort of qualitative approaches to rules that may apply to you. So for example, CERCLA, if you know that you have PFOA or PFOS containing materials on site, and hypothetically, if these chemicals are ultimately designated as hazardous substances, do you have a procedure in place right now that would allow you to meet the quantification and reporting requirements under that rule? So that's really the best advice I could give right now. Great advice, Kayla. Thanks. Remind me around PFOS and that de minimis change. That would not necessarily be a change that applies for this July looking at 2021, or it would be. Remind me when that will occur. Yeah, you're right. It would not apply this July. So okay. it'd be Got it. reporting. Yep. So it seems like there could be here a bit of a disconnect between the availability of data from a supplier, or at least the way they present it now, and the requirement to report. And there could be a disconnect here. So, But we have some time, mm -hmm. it sounds like, between now and not this coming cycle, but the one after that to really start to look into that. But that's probably time that's needed. Yeah, definitely. So the advice is very timely. Okay, that's great. Thank you, Kayla. Thanks for joining me. I always enjoy the conversation. To our listeners, thanks so much as always, and we hope that you'll join us next time. You've been listening to For the Record Behind the Scenes Insider Podcast with Colin McCall. Remember to sign up for our complimentary For the Record email newsletter to get weekly news and articles on a variety of timely EHS issues. The content heard on this podcast is not intended to replace an evaluation of the specific projects and regulations that you are encountering at your company.